Welcome to Product Knowledge, the podcast about marketing products that improve people's lives. I'm Andrea Schwabi, Director of Media Services at Graphos Product. Podcasts are big. There are about 30 million available. About 700,000 are active with new episodes. There's a podcast on virtually any topic you can imagine, including podcasting. Podcasts about podcasting are a quirk of the medium. They're part education, part entertainment. Podcasting is a powerful way to create your own media property. Your business is an expert at what you do and sell, and the world is listening. Podcasting is just complicated enough to introduce anxiety and resistance for those who might otherwise want to try sharing their voice. A new audio market segment of Podcast Recorders aims to address the complexity problem. Podcasting is complicated because more than one person is involved. Getting audio into a computer is easy when it's just one person. Getting broadcast quality for several people who all need to hear at the same time is not. A podcast recorder includes an audio mixing console, but may also include processing or effects, a phone connection for remote interviews, buttons to trigger interview audio or sound effects, and multiple headphone outputs to share audio with studio guests. Podcast recorders are about integrating a series of solutions into one device. Now, this episode really is based on a story that unfolded here at Graphos Product. Not long ago, we were looking for a flexible piece of hardware for an in-office studio space to record and produce podcasts and interviews. There was only one all-in-one podcasting device on the market, the Rodecaster Pro by Australian company Rode. Now, Rode is known more for its microphones, but the Rodecaster is a beautiful device with some really helpful features. It's extremely popular and already famous in the podcasting community. Not long ago, a vital piece of equipment in my home studio failed, and I set out to do the research to replace it. After several months of experience with the Rodecaster Pro, I chose to buy a different device, the Zoom L8. Now, on one hand, the Rodecaster has 20 buttons and a big, colorful touchscreen. The Zoom L8 has over four times as many buttons and a small monochrome LCD. On pure aesthetics, the winner is clear. The Rodecaster Pro looks like it belongs on a Death Star console. It's just that cool. But, and it's a big but. To even the mildest audio nerd, the more attractive device is actually the more complex looking one. The Zoom L8's interface is a standard audio console that tells you everything you need to know about what's happening without menu diving. The Rodecaster Pro is designed with simplicity first. The L8 is an audio first device which rewards users with experience. We decided to turn the podcast recorder design conversation into a podcast. The conversation ranges from the reasons behind including or excluding certain features, always with the user in mind. Just as with any production recording, your source material is the most important thing, so we went to the source and called Samuel Green, product specialist at Zoom North America. We reached Samuel on Skype to talk about the decisions that go into creating a device for a market segment that's familiar but completely new. To kick things off, we asked Samuel Green to talk about his role at Zoom. I come from a, a music recording background, and my job here um, is really fun for me because I get to marry my love of getting nerdy with tech um, and business, really, because um, that's that's what I do is is trying to make sure that the tech and the business talk to each other, um, and that comes in a couple different forms. Um, and and you know my job is to be an expert, so I. I know everything about our products. I try to know everything about our customers. I communicate what our customers are looking for, their feelings to our engineers, and work with them to make sure we're you know, making the best products we can. And then internally in our office, 
I make sure the marketing is taking advantage of, uh, you know, the great tech points we have. Um, trade shows, obviously, is a big thing for me. Um, and going around to the various stores that sell our products and making sure they all, their salespeople uh, know everything about our products as well. Uh, one of the things that I want to touch on is is the scope and the reach of Zoom in North America. Can you talk a bit about that? Because Zoom, for people like me, is really ubiquitous, and for others, it might they might not understand quite the scope of Zoom. Uh, absolutely. So Zoom is a, a Japanese company um, headquarters in Tokyo. So that's where all of the engineering and all of the international sales happen. Um, I work for Zoom North America, that's uh, the office here in New York, and we handle distribution of Zoom products um, in the US, Canada, um, Mexico, and some other territories. So any product, Zoom product that's bought in North America comes through our office. Um, and being that we have the most Zoom customers in the world, um, we obviously then have access to the customers telling us what they want and um, and what they need. So it's it's incredibly important for us to be able to effectively communicate that back to the engineers um, to make sure they're making the best products. And that same action is happening all over the world. You know, the UK distributor, the European distributor, um, are all working within their specific territories to you know sell Zoom, but also gather that information to make sure that we are staying on top of making the best products. So you're really taking like when you go to a conference and you're talking to people who are potential sellers and buyers. Um, really it's getting the feedback as well like you're looking at what will be in the next iteration as well absolutely i mean you, you can stand with a customer in front of a product and glean a lot more info about you know whether this product is going to work for them than you can just you know thinking about oh what does a filmmaker need with the dslr well no go talk to the dslr user and see the issues they're running into and see is this product effectively solving all of those issues for the customer so it's especially in the last five to six years that you know direct interaction with the customers has just become even more important for us to make sure we're, we're doing the best and are you still doing market research and, and having that study group work done uh, constantly, uh, and you know, not not like a third party study group type of thing, but um, you know, the digital age, we have a lot of resources we can use. Facebook user groups have been huge for us, um, gathering uh, gathering knowledge on what people are liking, what people aren't liking, and it's not only our user groups. You can go to user groups for other products and other brands and see what are people liking about that, what are they not liking about that, and you know, the access to that direct customer information is easier now than it has ever been before. There's an advantage with audio production equipment because it is easily, of all the things that I sort of get exposed to in the work that I do, it is the most involved vocal group. I mean, if you if you have a a mixer with a bad mic preamp or a mic preamp that just isn't up to snuff, you will absolutely hear endlessly about it. I completely agree. And even within the audio community, it's been funny for me to learn, uh, you know, I, they're always vocal, no matter what you do, whether you're a musician, videographer or a podcaster. But uh, a couple of groups have stood out as particularly vocal. One of them is, um, you know, our F series is our professional location sound series. Mm -hmm. And you talk about a customer who they are going out 
and working with a re- the rest of the film crew, and they've got one shot to get it right. And when they hand it in, not only does the audio have to be right, but there's got to be metadata, there's got to be time code. And if any aspect of that is difficult to pull off, the, the product is done. So you know that 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 customer especially the facebook groups have been useful and podcasters as well um have been very very vocal about um you know what problems they're running into um when they're trying to record and uh it's been incredible for us to have easy access to finding out uh what they're worried about what was the thing that pushed zoom towards saying okay we need to do a, a podcasting recorder was the fact that we were figuring out how many of our H6 recorders were being used to record podcasts. And, uh, you know, we we like to call it the unintended consequence. Uh, We had another instance of that, which our H4N in 2008, when the DSLR craze hit, you know, the product was designed for a musician. All of a sudden, more than 50% of the users are videographers. Well, then let's start putting videographer features. And the same thing has happened again. The H6, my God, there are a lot of these being used for podcasting, and it's not even designed for that. Imagine if we went back and we put in podcasting features, and uh, and that realization is is when we really started thinking seriously. Okay, what's going to be our first product that has specific podcasting features? And the L8 came out of that. You know, when you're you're designing a podcast recorder, what is literally the first thing that is the defining part of a podcast reporter recorder because i mean a, a digital mixer isn't that different really so what what's that thing right so i think there are there are three features that turn any old audio recorder into a podcast recorder the first are sound pads the second is the trrs connection um, for hooking up your phone and doing an easy mix minus and the third are headphone outputs there's got to be multiple headphone outputs um, and you look like at a product like our h6 only one headphone output there were plenty of inputs but there was no you know phone input there was no sound pads um, so you know it was kind of customers making it work in their situation using a headphone amp figuring out other ways to get their phone in so i, I think it's those three features turn a recorder into a podcast recorder. The L8 has multiple personalities to me. Actually, it's several devices in one. And and these are actually really significant design choices because they're things that actually were uh, elements that caused me to d- decide to buy one, which is, first of all, uh, whose idea was the battery? AA power. Um, the CEO of our company, Zoom North America, uh, was uh, the major factor in, in deciding to go for battery power on this unit. So from my perspective as, as a consumer, it is literally this solves so many problems with one feature that, and I know Zoom is a brand well enough, that as a consumer, that was the nudge. Like It's a small nudge, but literally the, the beauty of the competitor it pales into the practicality of just being able to pack this thing around. Absolutely. And and it you know, it's perfectly in line with the general philosophy we have at Zoom, which is uh, any new product we make, and especially if it's a product for a, a new market, um, is there's gotta be a feature or something about it that makes you say, Wow, that is different and I wanna seriously consider that product. And there have been times when it's simply been, you know, our knowledge of the recording technology and our ability to quickly implement that 
Um, you know, sometimes it's just a price thing, and but more often than not, it's a it's one or two features that we feel these are two things that people may or may not know they want, but would make them seriously say, you know what, this product might be the right one for me. There's, there's something you said there a minute ago, Samuel. You, you mentioned a new market, and to me, that that's really interesting and really important. What do you do at Zoom when you decide you're going to target an entirely different market? And it, this is, you know, the the podcasting vertical, which is kind of this this new category, um, and it's new in the world in in a sense as well. How do you go about changing the way that you market when you move into um, whether it's a larger targeting? Um, targeting more of a mainstream market or you're targeting a specific interest group like podcasters, what changes? Uh, so, I mean, step one is learning and listening. Um, you know, it's, you can't claim to be making products for a customer you you don't understand. And I'm not going to claim that we 100% understand podcasters yet. We're, you know, we're still getting there. And I think podcasters too are still trying to perfect what, you know, the perfect podcast recorder and, and the podcast process is. Um, and that learning, it depends on the market. It, it comes from different places. Um, you know, if we're looking, you know, the other side of Zoom is guitar effect pedals and, you know, something over there um, or, you know, a, a new kind of guitar effects pedal, you, you, you know, we kind of have a plethora of people we can call and we know we can talk to, but now we come here to podcasting. This is a, a new market and we don't have these people in our Rolodex. So where do we go to learn about them? And, you know, Facebook was a big one. Um, YouTube is another big one. Um, we started, we went to podcast movement this past year, um, shortly before the LH launch. So, you know, it's one of those we knew about and we would have loved to talk about it. We just weren't ready for it yet. Um, so that learning about the market is absolutely the number one place. And then not only do you need to learn what they want, but that learning process can also reveal to you how do you get the message to them? What, what channels are they already looking at that you can poke your head in to make sure that they even know that you're doing something they might be interested in? Where did you hear? What were the pinch points and what did you sort of do to mitigate uh, the difficulties around this as a technical product? Where the big differences come in is the user interface and what specific um, audio processing you give the, to the customer and what do you either simplify or not even give to them to avoid confusion. Um, you know, our, our current philosophy about the podcasting customer is it's diverse. It is amateur it is professional it is prosumer it is everything in between people at all different sorts of level and how do you give them power and not hold them back and yet try to keep it simple um and um you know it's it really for for any specific customer they'll have an opinion on where the la lies within um, you know, that that spectrum and, and where in that spectrum they lie and, and if it works for them. Um, but the important thing for us with the L8 is don't don't hold back somebody that knows what they're doing with audio. Make sure they have the EQ, make sure they have nice, easy to access mixing um, so that they can do what they know to do. Um, and then, you know, whatever decisions we can make to make that as simple as we can, so that somebody who is trying to learn about this and get up to this um, can do that. 
you know, people might be surprised how much conversation went on for every button and every knob and every fader and every output to make sure we're we're nailing it as much as we can for both of those customers. Yeah, and that's really challenging when you have multiple consumer goals, right? Because you know, you're trying to create the simplicity and accessibility within the device and to meet the goals of of the, you know, that prosumer, to meet the goals of of the novice who's coming in and, and just wants things to be easy and, and not have too much clutter in front of them. Um, and you know, when you look at the, the Roadcaster Pro for example, one thing that I liked before I, I got to look at the L8 and understand how it worked was just the simplicity that you just have these eight sliders and, you know, a few great big buttons, one huge record button. Um, but what you're sacrificing when you have that simplicity is is accessibility. And, you know, it's juggling that balance between thinking about, you know, what, what a consumer wants in a car. They don't necessarily want any more a massive instrument cluster with, with everything that, you know, visible to them. At least they don't seem to because they're buying uh, Tesla Model 3s now that have just one interface in, in a big tablet and everything is in there. But the other side of that is you lose accessibility and, and you have to, you know, while you're trying to accomplish something, to have to tab through screens to get to where you want to go is a level of complexity that, that people who need to achieve a task don't necessarily want. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think one of the places on the L8 where all of those things converged is the bottom right section where you have your recorder controls and your effects and everything. And, um, you know, we, we created this system where you had, you know, eight task buttons and then four menu buttons. And those buttons determine what those action buttons were going to do. And, Obviously, that's something that's very easily implemented on a touchscreen. Um, but for us, it for the L8, you know, it's you know being the price it was going to be um, and everything. It was how, how that was that was really a, a struggle. How do we make that all of the processes that we're giving you in this very small area of this recorder as simple as we can and. Um, you know, the decision to kind of have all the word, words there and have backlit the, you know, words that are, um, you know, active right now. Which is fantastic. It, it's also good yeah. because it's all at a glance. Like I hit a menu button and I know what my controls are. Absolutely. And, and right. And, and, you know, you know, you need this X function and it's not there right now. Well, four button clicks and, and you'll you'll have seen every function you can do. And so it's got to be there. Like I loved what you said about. It, it, you know, you had to design to avoid confusion. And there's an interesting perceptual thing that happens when buying gear. And I, I've, whenever friends say, you know, can I, can I take you and go buy a microphone or whatever they're trying to get for themselves? There's a thing that I've noticed that happens. They perceive complexity as complexity. They see, wow, this is complex and that's, ooh, that's complicated. That's, that's the end of it. I see complexity as, ooh, flexibility. Here are the things I can do with that. It's capacity. What, you know, how fast can I work? What's my workflow? What does this allow me to do? The L8 is a workable, functional production piece of gear. And the road is more if I'm just really starting and I don't want to have to think about it too much. The thought that, you know, complex is just complex, it's really... It, it's intimidation. It's you're intimidated by what you're seeing. And, you know, the number of knobs and the number of buttons, that's that's where that intimidation comes. And, uh, you know, even for the customer that is going to walk up and be intimidated, I we hope that 
with just a little bit of learning, you know, it's not something you need to learn twice and there's not going to be something there that is going to be conceptually something that you don't understand. Um, make sure if you do need to learn a little bit, make it easy and make it that once they know they're going to be able to replicate that process, you know, from now on. The device, the L8 for us is really interesting when we have these product discussions because it is, it really is a study in, you know, that, that complexity versus simplicity. And it's also, there aren't many consumer devices you buy that have this many things on them, you know, this many functions, this many dials, switches and sliders. And, and I really, you know, it, it really makes me want to dive into your world to see how the, those choices are made at the, at the product development and, and design and engineering stages to get to the point where you are when, you, when you're on the market now and you've taken those big risks and now you're making the decisions in how in how to get to, to communicate um what you've chosen to do to the audience so they appreciate you know what you've created for them absolutely and 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 obviously and then once you release the product you then the first thing you think is how can we make this better and meaning how do we make this current product better and how do we make a future product better and so that brings up you know the there are two aspects to every piece of digital audio gear there's the hardware aspect and there's the software aspect or um, more technically for us firmware so the hardware you aren't going to change once you release a product you know the the ins and outs are there the knobs and faders that are available are there. And the software is one place where you can improve a current product. So, you know, it, in in years past, you know, you, you look at the Facebook user groups, you talk to people at trade shows, you look at YouTube videos, and you say, okay, are there features that aren't there that people want? Is it a software thing that we could implement through a firmware update? Or is it a hardware thing that we need to take into consideration when we make the next generation? And, you know, we we have these running lists, if you will. You know, I'll, I'll email our engineers a, a few weeks after a product is released with 20, 20 comments I've gathered for, you know, Sometimes it's, you know, this is working really great. That decision we made is working perfectly. Let's not change that in the future. And this decision we made isn't being perceived quite like we want to perceive. And and either we can change things or maybe we need to educate. We need a YouTube video out there explaining a, a particular thing. Um, so that that process for us of it actually improving a, a current product is very, very important to us. And beyond the fact that we want to make the best product, one of the things we've learned over the last few years and in, in kind of our conscience uh, increase in our communication with uh, between the customers and engineers is the amount of trust you can gain from a customer by listening and by implementing what they're looking for, not telling them what they're looking for, um, has it's, it's a, uh, a customer, a loyal customer gold mine, you know, when, when they trust that you're going to listen to them and make the product that they want, they're going to trust the product that they have right now even more. So, that has is very right now very very important for us listening and thinking about how do we improve the products possibly now or in the next generation and i'll i, I will tell you 
we already know things that we want to keep and things we want to change whenever kind of, you know, the next uh, generation of podcast recorders from Zoom comes out. To me, the the sort of the unexpected success or failure is always the, the place that we can learn something because it's unexpected. Like, why did that work? This could get a little technical, so I'll, I'll try to stay away from the technical aspect. But we introduced this field recorder that had 32-bit float recording, which is uh, at first you just think, oh, a higher quality. No, that's not really it. What it really means is it's actually impossible to clip and it's impossible to record too low. No matter how low you record, you could raise the volume up. With a 32-bit floating recorder, you essentially have uh, no floor or ceiling to your recording levels. Like You can get the full dynamic range of whatever you're hearing. Correct. And and the incredible things that happen as a result are, one, you don't need to set the gain at all, which you say that to an audio engineer. They, they look at your cross-eyed. You, you plug in a microphone, you won't find a gain adjustment because you just don't need to do it. As long as you plug in the microphone and you hit the record button, there's literally nothing else you could do wrong because you have full manipulation power of that audio after. Yeah. And we knew that was going to be a difficult concept to get the customers to understand. And uh, it hasn't been a struggle. It's been fun. It's been really fun to tr explain this technology to customers and see them think what that could do for their workflow and what that could do for the times that they're out there and they know they can't make a mistake. Um, so I think now we we feel that the base level of knowledge customers need to have to understand that particular technology, at least within that market, is getting there. Um, and I think we learned a couple of lessons on how to do that even better next time when we're trying to um, not just release a new feature, but release a new technology. Yeah, I have a feature question for you on the L8, Samuel. Why no built-in yeah. Bluetooth? Was that strictly a cost reduction decision? Not strictly. Uh, it, that was definitely a factor in it. Um, our Bluetooth audio is tricky. There, um, you have to contend with the fact that um, there is a latency in Bluetooth, and it's interesting latency because it is not consistent. It varies depending on the distance between the two devices. Um, it's you know it's the reason why none of our recorders to this date have ever had the ability to have you connect Bluetooth headphones during your during recording. You don't have the luxury of dealing with latency. It's not an option. Um, therefore, Bluetooth isn't an option for us. We, we won't let customers have that experience. Um, so, you know, definitely a cost thing, definitely a latency thing. And if you plug in the phone via an audio cable, the quality of it is going to be better. And so we like that we gave people the best audio quality option um, that we could. I love that answer because that's a philosophical answer and you're not allowing uh, the customer to make decisions that are going to uh, compromise the recording quality because a lot of people will do that. You know, I asked that question thinking I like being able to hook up with Bluetooth, but you know, if I take that shortcut and it's going to compromise things without me necessarily being aware of it even, um, then maybe that's a decision I shouldn't be allowed to make very easily. When was the price point set for the L8? Good question. Uh, you know, because because every product release it, it does happen at a different time. For the L8 specifically, it was early. It was definitely before um, we finalized. Uh, you know, the form factor, what features it was going to have. Um, I'll say specifically. 
the decision to have batteries in there was made before the price point i'm sorry was made after the price point discussion and when you do it that way discussions need to be be had like can we implement that feature can we um add that in or out or or what have you um so for this particular product it, it was early on that you know we we wanted to make a very very accessible product and let's make sure every decision we make from now on uh, gets us to that end goal. We just want people to feel feel that they can do it all, and we want um, those that know to know that they can do everything, and those that don't know to quickly and easily learn. And to that effect, you know, it, it, that goes beyond product development and marketing everything. It goes into customer support. Our our North American support is four guys that sit in my office and they pick up the phone when you call. There's no, you know, needing to hit a button. There's there's no robot voice. We want you to know to have confidence that you can learn about this product and we are here to help you. Every one of those guys has all of our products on their desk and they'll talk button to button with you. So yeah, it, it goes beyond the product development side. It, it's being there for your customer, making sure you're empowering them to do everything that they want to do. Do you have a kind of an elevator pitch for the L8 compared to other products? How would you encapsulate this product when you're telling somebody about it, they've never heard of it before. They may be a little bit familiar with audio stuff, but um, let's say it's someone who is getting into podcasting and you want to tell them why they, they should look at the L8. Uh, so for a product like the L8, and and this varies wildly between our products, um, you talk about what a podcast is and what you need to record a podcast. You need inputs to plug your microphones in. You need headphone outputs so that your speakers can hear themselves. You need the phone connection so you can record remote interviews. And once you are agreed with what do we need, now let's talk about this product and how we address those needs. Um, so that is very different from something like a location sound field recorder where uh, they know their needs. They want to know that you have the answer and you start with the answers um, and and allow them to connect that dot back to um, their workflow. So we've talked about we've talked about design features. We've talked about, you know, the choices and marketing. Uh, how many how are sales and how many are you looking at selling? Like what's your target for the next year or two? Um, so sales have been good. Um, we've been really happy with it. Um, you know, it's be, being in a new market, you don't really know what to expect. We're talking in the thousands that we've shipped so far since October. We, we set lofty goals for ourselves and be, we know that we have the, um, you know, the dealer network and the knowledge and the, the customer base that we, um, we should be able to attain those things. How much does Zoom rely on reputation? Because all the hardcore audio nerds I know, including a couple field recorders, one with an F6, uh, they're they're they are really into Zoom. Like they they there's an affinity for Zoom users. How much do you guys rely on that for for marketing and designing your products? Uh, it's huge. Um, I, I won't say it's everything, but but it is big. We know that we have a loyal music customer fan base, and we know that we have a loyal videographer fan base. Um, and 
we rely on friends telling friends that they trust their Zoom product and that they trust the quality of it. And if we lose that, we we think we would lose everything. Um, so, you know, it's that plays into how quickly we react when something is going wrong. Um, and I'll, I'll tell um, a story that, you know, isn't isn't particularly uh happy one for us and that is our f8 we had this issue where it had a white screen um uh and it was on a very very small percentage of products but especially within that community they talk a lot and so the word gets out and then all of a sudden everybody that has one starts questioning is, is it going to happen to mine is it going to ruin a take for me and uh, we we take that seriously. It was it was alarm bells going off all over the place in the U.S. and Europe and Japan. It was we need to fix this and we need to fix this fast. And you know we implemented special customer service policies to make sure that we would have happy customers in every case. Um, and and in the case of that particular one, it was every single one of them gets replaced free of charge with a brand new product. No questions asked. Doesn't matter when you bought it. If you have that issue, you are getting a brand new unit. We don't want anybody to ever feel that and the i i'd like to think that how quick we reacted to that and how thoroughly and um you know as easy as we could for the customer um it it tries to save that that trust yeah to me that's actually a really good story that's a positive story because it shows what zoom is made out of and it defines the brand how you react to challenges like that how you react to kind of a what could be a product catastrophe and, and a reputation catastrophe and i've you know lexus is very good at responding to things like that you know you're in you're in that category of of brands that if something is wrong they fix it and and you know worry about the cost of fixing it later and you know that that pays dividends that's it for this episode of Product Knowledge and our conversation with Zoom North America product specialist Samuel Green. We'll have links to the Zoom L8 and Roadcaster Pro in the episode notes. Visit graphosproduct.com where you can find out more about Graphos, our services, ideas, or more podcasts, and our blog. All our podcasts are transcribed for the deaf and hard of hearing, or if you just prefer to read. Reach out on Twitter at Graphos Product or email us through the form on graphosproduct.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Andrea Schwabi.